welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. Uh, great to have you here. My name is Beko and my partner, Hari. Hello. This episode, we are continuing our discussion with Micron Technology. Um, I'm really glad you guys are here. Um, we will talk about specifically um, the questions around how this company is able to translate or not able to translate its moat into returns on capital. Um, uh, we're ta we'll talk about reasonable debt level, things like that, um, following our checklist. So before we do that, though, Hari, can you give us a quick disclaimer and perhaps a quick uh, housekeeping items? Yeah, so this is the Value Investor TV podcast. We are a podcast that helps you understand the concepts behind value investing. We are not uh, your financial advisor. We don't know your specific financial situation. So if you need to make any financial decisions, please consult with a financial advisor before um, uh, doing so. Um, and then <clears throat> on to some of the housekeeping items. We are, you know, this podcast, um, Becco and I are very interested in reaching out to the community and helping uh, grow our community. Um, the easiest way to get a hold of us is um, info at valueinvestor.org. And with that email, you can ask us questions, uh, make suggestions for what you'd like to see us talk about on the podcast. Uh, Micron is one of the listener requested um, companies that we are talking about. Um, so was Wex last week and many of the other companies that are on uh, the podcast. So if you'd like to do that, um, you know, send us an email, uh, info at valueinvestor.org. Um, also, every company that we talk about, we use a checklist. And that checklist is something that you can get from us uh, for free. Um, it just takes, you know, two seconds to write an email to us at info at valueinvestor.org and you can get it. Uh, and then the last, <laughs> last thing you can do is communicate with us directly on Slack. Um, uh, we have a Slack channel um, and Becco has been generous, generous enough to actually say that he'll answer your messages on Slack <laughs> at any time of day, 24-7, 365. He has no life. Uh, he will answer your questions. If you need relationship advice, um, you need to... Ask him about it, what kind of dog you want, anything. He'll answer any of it. So I'm there for you guys. Just yeah, that's how how generous he is. So I'm dedicated to serving you guys. Yeah. So info at valueinvestor.org, and we will uh, add you to the Slack channel. And then you can join up with other people uh, who are listeners to and ask questions of us or other people and uh, hear about relevant news for the value investing world or ask Becco anything you'd like so anything at all <laughs> all right so uh where we left off with micron um you know we kind of talked a lot about what the company does what their competitive advantage was and you know we didn't really see much of an, a competitive advantage other than having a high high uh barrier to entry in terms of how much capital you need um but, you know, we also saw that some of the margins were being eroded by uh, Chinese manufacturing that was trying to get um, into the business uh, of making these these RAM chips and, you know, uh, flash and NAND uh, chips. So the, the real question that we want to look at is, despite all of that competition, you know, how how is Micron doing from a profitability standpoint, you know, um, and when we when we talk about profitability, we're we're generally talking about the return on uh, 
you know, something return on invested capital, return on equity. Um, so, you know, is Micron able to translate the moat that we talked about, which we thought was just high barriers to entry um, into a high return on capital? Yeah, so return on something. So let's just go down the list real quick. So return on assets, return on equity, return on invested capital, return on capital employed. Uh, if you guys are interested in finding more about these ratios, these kind of capital efficiency ratios, you can check out our podcast. We did a whole coverage on, on we went deep into these uh, individual ratios. So be sure to check that out. With Micron, uh, on average, over the past 10 years, um, return on asset about 9.7%, return on equity about 16%, return on invested capital 13% return on capital employed, about 13% as well. So you're talking about a company that's generating about 13% uh, over its capital, um, depending on how you look at the capital. But um, I like to look at, especially for companies like this that require heavy investments into the business itself, capital return on capital employed or return on invested capital. Those two seems to make more sense to me. Um, yeah. So if you look at those, about 13% is what you're looking at. So for reference, 8% is about average. 15% is, you know, probably one to two standard deviations above the mean. And then anything above that is considered outstanding. So, um, you know, they're kind of in the gray middling zone, right? They're not, mm -hmm. not great, but above, still above average. Um, yeah. Okay, so thinking about that, um, let's look at the balance sheet here and kind of identify, are there any issues on the balance sheet that could potentially disrupt this business, right? And uh, the first is, would they have enough cash on hand to maintain the day-to-day -day operations of the business? Yeah, so to answer that question, I look at my current ratio, uh, just looking at how much asset, the current asset there are, asset. Uh, divided by the total liability. And you're looking at about 1.3, 1.5 for the previous year, and then it went below 1, um, 0.78. But on, overall, on average, over the past 10 years, you're looking at about 1, basically 1. Okay. So current ratio to current liability, about 1 to 1 is what you're looking at over the past 10 years. So from that standpoint, it's pretty good. Okay. Um, does the company maintain reasonable debt levels? And we'll just ask that first and then ask about how that debt level is in relation to the cash flow. Sure. Uh, if you look at the debt level, uh, the debt level right now is around $4 billion. And just to, to give you a context, $4 billion and you're generating about 23 billion in, re in revenue and a net income is about 6 billion. So debt of four, so it's not, it's very manageable uh, from that standpoint. Okay. Um, and we can look at, like you mentioned, from free cash flow standpoint next. Okay. Um, yeah, so relative to the free cash flow, what we would wanna see is a free cash flow um, that would be able to pay off the debt in three years. Um, and so, you know, we, we said that it was 4 billion for their 
uh, debt level. So what what does their free cash flow look like? Um, and it seems like it's fluctuated a lot in the last few years. Um, and uh, and so and then what does that ratio look like for debt to yeah, free cash so flow? It fluctuated quite a bit. Uh, you're right. Um, but if you look at, let's say, just for the past five years, right? You're talking about 2019. It's about 1.3. Uh, so debt to debt divided by free cash flow is about 1.3, meaning that just with free cash flow, you can be able to pay off your debt within within 1.5 years or 1.3 years rather. Um, but if you look at the past five, last year it was around zero. Uh, it was around uh, 0.5. The year before that it was three, 3.6, um, and so on. So. It hasn't been it hasn't been that bad, and they've been kind of managing it quite well. Um, I would say it peaked. Just really one quick comment: it peaked in 2017 with 11 uh, 11 billion dollars in debt, and that right there, the free um, debt to free cash flow at that at at that year was uh, three point three point two three point three. Yeah. It's right at where you would say kind of a limit uh that was that was in 2017 okay um next question is management properly incentivized to protect shareholders interests over its own so really what we're looking at here is how is management really focused on um you know how is how are they paid and is it going to be in direct violation of what you know are are they going to if they maintain their own interests over the company's interests because they're being paid to do some certain things that are detrimental to the business itself. Um, you know, so w- what do you see there and ha- what comments can you provide on that? Yeah, I think it's pretty standard. I mean, you have the obviously base cal- base cash salary, short-term incentive, long-term incentive, um, and a lot of good majority of his, the CEO's pay is, is equity-based stock, uh, stock-based compensation. But if you look at, and, and, and just to add to that, it's pretty reasonable, like, you know, for example, for long-term incentive, one of the things that look at is free cash flow growth, which is great. Free cash flow is what you want to look at, especially for a company like this that is, you know, kind of mature business, right? Free cash flow is what you want to look at. Um, but another thing that is notable here is company valuation. Um, and I think that is, you know, some could say it is, fi- some could say it's fair, but I would think that if you could add another measurement of some sort of capital efficiency ratio in there, for example, you know, hit certain level of return on invested capital or certain, uh, you know, capital efficiency ratio, I think that would also bolster my favorability on how incentive is is properly assigned um, to match that of shareholders. What do you think, Hari? Yeah, I, I mean, I I think it's hard to, you know, we, we in all of the companies that we've looked at, it's been fairly rare for us to find the alignment of these incentives to be perfectly aligned. You know, there's oftentimes companies have 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 never had that. Um, true alignment because you know for whatever reason 
So really the the thing that I look for a lot is do the founders still run it, right? That kind of gives you a big, you know, arrow in the right direction. Um, and, you know, Micron is getting to the point where it's, you know, somebody's entire career, they could have worked at Micron, but now, you know, that's getting to the point where it's all, almost impossible because they're almost 40 years or they're over 40 years old, right? Mm-hmm. So as these businesses mature, you're not going to see the founder running it anymore. And so incentives kind of will drift, you know, when you have a hired gun CEO coming in. Yeah. And as it relates to that, I just want to make a quick comment on the CEO himself. Um we talked about this before we recorded the podcast, but uh, Sanjay, he's the CEO. He was the co-founder. He was the co-founder of SanDisk um, and served as a president and CEO of SanDisk until SanDisk was acquired by Western Digital. Um, they are competitor of Micron. And then from then, from then on, he, uh, he came over to Micron and serving as a CEO currently. So he's, he is a hired gun. Uh, from that standpoint. Okay. Uh, next question. So has management handled excess capital in a shareholder friendly way? Um, and w- so what do we mean by that? So, you know, there was a book um, written um, called the outsiders that discusses, you know, how do you measure how good a CEO actually is? Right. And the way that you measure that is, um, basically called capital allocation, right? So capital allocation is the concept that the CEO's job is to put funds to the best use of maximizing shareholder return. And so if they can reinvest in the business and get a good rate of return, they should do that. But if they can't, they should return that money back to shareholders in the form of buybacks uh, or dividends. And even in that instance of buyback and dividend, those should be ultimately timed based on the value of the stock uh, relative to the price. Um, mm-hmm. So talking about that, let's discuss, are there share buybacks or dividend payments um, you know, for Micron and are they, you know, you know, what is the magnitude of them and what impact do you think that they'll have on the stock? Yeah, so in terms of dividend, uh, no dividend. Um, so that's a, so that's a plus by itself, right? That they're not. I would much rather that they do a buyback than a dividend. So, yeah. Um, maybe you can add some color to that really quick. Why you prefer that? Yeah. So dividends are going to get taxed twice, and a share buyback is essentially an effectively free of um, of that double tax. So uh, them buying back allows me to get more earnings in the future. Um, and it can reduce the share count so that I own more of the company. So in and of itself, and this was a great example in the uh, uh, in the Outsiders book, uh, Teledyne was a company that was chronically undervalued. The CEO uh, allocated you know um, money to buy back shares, and they did so and reduced the share count by like 90% of the company. Um, and so just by holding on to it and if their earnings didn't even change you know you would get a 10x return essentially um mm-hmm. so that's ca- the kind of thing that we're kind of looking for in a company like this is can we get um you know are there buybacks and what is the the volume and um and what do we think that'll have a benefit to the company yeah yeah so 
So in terms of buyback, uh, this is straight out of the 10K authorized discre discretionary repurchase of up to $10 billion of our outstanding common stock beginning in 2019. And in 2019, repurchased about 60 million shares for $2.66 billion. Yeah, and so, for, for reference, how many shares outstanding do they have? The number of shares outstanding, they have about a billion, okay. over a billion. So 67 million is is a fairly significant amount. Yeah, 67 million shares, 2.66. Their market cap uh, is around 60 billion. So a $10 billion buyback is going to be about one-sixth of the company that they'd be returning. So that's yeah. that's not insignificant. Not ex Yeah, exactly. And especially for a company that is kind of, you know, maturing, uh, is mature already, but kind of the future of the company and the, the, the question mark around uh, the mobile business, what, what can be the new growth engine. I think it's a, I think it's an interesting and, and perhaps timely decision. Um, but again, when to purchase, purchase, getting that authorization is one thing, but when to purchase is another, right? Um, yeah. So we, you know, as, as we're writing this, the, uh, the global stock market has dropped significantly due to the coronavirus. And I would hope that a company like this would be buying back shares if, you know, I haven't looked at Micron specifically if their prices dropped, but you would expect them or hope that they would be aggressively buying shares right now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Moving on. Do you see any red flags in the way that management conveys information? Yeah. Uh, you know, do you think that they're open and honest or are they hiding problems from uh, the investing public? I don't, I can't see any red flags here. Um, you know, I think they are as, as open as I, as I can assess it. Uh, so no red flags from my standpoint. Um, all right, let's get into the valuation. Um, first question we want to kind of ask is, you know, can you reasonably estimate cash flows for a business like this? Um, or are they too volatile or is the competition so great that, um, you know, that they, they, you know, it wouldn't work out? I think we can. Um, I think we can reasonably assume given the long history of this company, right? Uh, if you just look at the past 10 years, 20 years even, you can see uh, you can see the long operating history. Uh, so that that is certainly helpful. Uh, also, but however, with the caveat that future is going to be different than in the past. So you can um, you know you can make assumptions. I think um, to to project out. So to answer your question, I think it is reasonable that we can estimate cash flow into the future um, with what we know now. Okay. So why don't we make um, a valuation assessment? You know, tell us what your um, uh, uh, assumptions are. So uh, growth rate, initial cash flow, um, and, you know, uh, and then let's see what, what number we come up with. Sure. Um, so just really quick, every discounted cash flow analysis that we do, Hari and I do, uh, discount rate, we pretty standardly use 10%. So right off the bat, 10% discount rate. If you look at the initial cash uh, cash flow, I'm just using 2019 number of about $3.4 billion. And if you look at the growth rate, the cash flow growth rate, um, 
just looking at how it grew over the past uh, three years, five years, 10 years, um, it has grown quite a bit. So from that standpoint, I assigned about 25% growth rate for the first three years and then 15% and about 10% uh, after that. Um, so once I do that, put that in, uh, and then and then put the number of shares outstanding as well as the cash on hand, I get about $47 per share. Right now it's trading, let me check, uh, Micron Technology. As Harry mentioned, there has been some, some uh, some blood, blood on the street <laughs> for the past couple of days. Um, Fifty-two dollars right now. Um, so intrinsic value of um, of um, forty-seven, and then uh, and then right now it's trading at fifty-two. Yeah. So the the real question that you would want to ask is, um, you know, if they reduce their share count. You know that'll have a boost on the free cash flow per share, just because the number of shares decreases. Um, mm -hmm. And will that be enough to kind of offset the weaker growth rates that we're going to see in the future? You know, um, and so I, I I do think that there's, you know, there there's definitely not a margin of safety when buying this company because we would expect a fifty percent, um, you know, discount. Um, you know, to be considered a margin of safety. So mm -hmm. right now it doesn't appear to be that there's anything uh, margin wise, uh, margin of safety yeah. wise. That's what it looks like. Um, yeah. But in, in the event that the, you know, this coronavirus outbreak continues and uh, disrupts the global supply chain, you know, some companies may go out of business or some companies may have, um, you know, be ripe for the taking from Micron standpoint. So, uh, mm -hmm. and that could affect the uh, the future growth rates and so on. Yeah. It is also nice to see a company that isn't crazily overvalued uh, relative to the intrinsic value. Yeah. Yeah. It's becoming more and more common now um, because low interest rates tend to drive money into the, the market. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. given that information, you know, this may be a business that if it traded at around $20 a share, $25 a share, we'd be more interested in. Uh, but at, at the current price, it's too expensive. Yeah, I would say so. Okay, well, anything else uh, you want to add, Becco, before we close out um, um, on Micron? Yeah, just, just, to, just to reiterate the importance of competitive advantage. Right. Um, I think we can do all, you know, this sort of valuations and, and think about the intrinsic value from the standpoint of discounted cash flow. But really, I am more on the Charlie Munger camp of looking at companies that have a very well protected moat, buying just straight up good business. Um, from that yep. standpoint, it does, the company does lack what I'm looking for. Like, you know, we go through some of the checklists um, in the previous episode looking at. You know, brand equity or low low cost, uh, low cost um, mode things like that, and none of it checked uh, checked our boxes. So I would just uh, caution um, caution uh, you guys and myself in investing in companies like this where it doesn't really have that mode um, that I see. Yep. <clears throat> All right. Uh, 
Well, I think that, you know, kind of concludes where we're at with, um, with this company. Um, and you know, if you're interested in, uh, reaching out to us and asking us to, um, talk about, um, a company like Micron or Wex or any of the other ones that we've mentioned, uh, before, you know, please drop us a line info at valueinvestor.org. Uh, we generally compile a list of those companies and then pull them off every, you know, so often when we need to, you know, when we run out of ideas to talk about. Um, and so, you know, please send us those. That's uh, a great way for us to learn, for you to learn. Um, and one thing that if you want to do this, um, if you're interested in a, a company um, and you want to do the checklist yourself, and then send us the checklist so that we can look at it uh, and talk and critique your uh, checklist on a podcast. I think it would be a great way for you to learn. And actually, I think a better way for you to learn than listening to us talk, right? Because uh, we're going to do the work either way. But um, this way, you can get the benefit of hearing us say whether you know we think you're right or wrong about a, spe- a specific uh, area about a company or you know how, how you're thinking about it. So um, you know, Becco and I have done this hundreds of companies uh, over the years, so we know how to, you know, kind of evaluate them. Um, but if you're just a novice, this is a good way for you to kind of learn and then have other people learn uh, as well from that. So uh, we would welcome that. Great. Well, thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. Uh, we'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks. Thanks.